Hi everyone, it's Carrie Beach and welcome to the Traveling Pony Podcast. On this week's episode, I'm really excited to welcome Dominique Gonzalez. Dominique is an amateur writer based out of Florida and she has shown successfully in the hunters, equitation, and jumpers including wins at Southeast Medal Finals, as well as competing on the FEI level. Not only is she a successful competitor, she also helps her family run their business down in Florida. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode, and let's just jump right into it. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to come on the podcast and I cannot wait to speak to you today. Of course, it's no problem. I'm really excited to be here. So let's jump straight into the first question. For anybody who doesn't know you, who are you and where are you currently located? So hi everyone, my name is Dominique Gonzalez. I am currently located in Ocala, Florida, but I was originally born in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I've been living here for quite a while, since I was a teenager. Wow. I bet it's very different in the United States than it is out there. Yeah, it's more of the island life as a little kid. Um, Ocala is definitely a different scene. Yes. I got used to it, though, growing up. <laughs> now I love it. Oh, I bet. I, Man, I would give anything to be in Ocala during the wintertime. <laughs> I have to say winter in Ocala is pretty fun. Now that we have the World Equestrian Center open, mm. a lot more people are coming into town. So it does liven up. Oh, yeah. When I went to Ocala the last time, which was two years ago, World Equestrian Center wasn't open yet. I think like a month after I went there, it opened. And I was so jealous because all those people were posting pictures of the hotels and like the rings and all that stuff and I was like I didn't get to go to look at it (laughs) (laughs) so you have quite the notable career already at the age of 23 ranging from you know winning at the southeast medal finals to showing at the FAI level tell me a little bit about what got you into riding were you born into a family already emerged from horses or was it something that you became passionate about later in life So I have been very lucky to do what I've been doing thanks to my parents. Since I was born into a horse family, I had a lot more advantages, I would say, as a kid. They were very supportive about me doing anything I wanted to do, even if it wasn't riding. As a little kid, I was basically on a horse before I could walk. My mom and dad did show jumping for Puerto Rico, and my mom did more dressage work internationally. So they both went to the Pan American Games, one for show jumping and one for dressage. Wow. My dad ended up qualifying for the Olympics as a younger kid. I think he was, I want to say 19 or so when he had qualified. But he got a really good offer on his horse, and his dad, my grandfather, told him, you should take it, because those offers don't come every so often. So I think he still thinks about that opportunity about going or not. So he gives not the pressure on me, but has my name in the stars, basically. Mm. He wants to see my name out there, so he has been very 
supportive, trying to find me horses to ride, having me enjoy my time at the barn. That's great. I mean, I can only imagine getting an opportunity to go to that type of level doing the Olympics and everything, especially at that young of an age. That is seriously so impressive. You are quite impressive, too. I mean, getting to show at the FEI level at your age is super impressive as well. I think it was a lot of fun. I had more of the opportunities to do FBI during college, okay. where a lot of kids were going to parties or going to class. I managed to do my college class schedule from Monday and Wednesday classes, 8 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. I was basically in class the whole day. Wow. How did you – so those days that you were at school, did you even have time to ride, or is it just literally dedicated to just school? So I went to SCAD in Savannah, Georgia, and they gave me the flexibility with my classes. The first few, I would say two and a half years, I was on the riding team there. Okay. That gave me access to – allowing me to pick my classes first Mm. so every time we would have a new semester or quarter I can't remember what it was but I would set my alarm for like 6 29 a.m because classes open at 6 30 a.m and I would have all my classes lined up be like I need this class (laughs) I need this one and I managed to set my schedule like that so I would ride at the barn Tuesdays and Thursdays okay after my lesson on Thursday I would drive home which is about three and a half hours ride my horses or go to the horse show and then Sundays drive back to school another three and a half hours and do the whole thing again jeez yeah I know where SCAD is since I'm in North Georgia so did you end up leaving the team because of everything with your own showing or kind of what happened I ended up managing to do my college in three years instead of four. Wow. Since I was in Europe for most of the summer and most of the year, I just took classes year-round. Okay. And then I was on the team for a while, but it wasn't my cup of tea, I would say. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really enjoying it. I didn't deal with drama in high school, so it was my first real-world experience of seeing drama in person. Yeah. I was not a fan. (laughs) I didn't like it. I did make some friends. I have to say, I still talk to them today, but the other part of it, it was just, I wasn't a fan. You're definitely not the only person that I have heard that from. I find that a lot of people who, you know, have writing careers during their junior careers or whatever, and then they go into college and they do the teams, they just don't seem to enjoy it that much. And definitely, I did not do any writing in college on a team, but we have a similar format that you can do when you're a junior and everything, you know, IEA, and it, <laughs> it can be a lot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've had a lot of friends that went IHSA or Division One, mm-hmm. and they quit after a year. Yeah, I got offers for Division One, and I even toured schools, but the schools weren't what I wanted to study. I really wanted to do art, okay. and most of the big D1 schools don't have vast art programs. Mm-hmm. So that was one reason I also decided to go to SCAD. It was close enough that I could drive home, but far enough that I felt like I was my own person. Yes, that's definitely something I've heard too, is that it's that fine line between, you know, don't want to be too close, but you still have to be close enough, especially 
in a situation like yours. <laughs> yeah. So you have notably had a very successful career in all branches of riding, from hunters, you know, jumpers, and equitation, and a winning one at that, because <laughs> you have won a lot of stuff. So out of those three, where do you find yourself most passionate about? And where do you, you know, say that you've had a bad week or whatever, and you've got to go and ride? Are you going to sit on a jumper? Are you going to sit on a hunter, an equitation horse? You know, what do you find yourself continuing to go back to? I have to say that having a hunter trip where you just know you laid it down is one of the best feelings I've ever experienced. Definitely. I do love all both rings, like the hunters, jumpers, and the equitation. They're my favorites. I don't think I can differentiate them that much yes but i tell a lot of people this and they're surprised when i tell them most of the time when i go into the jump ring i'm terrified mm-hmm. <laughs> like i'm at the eight gate or i'm in the warm-up ring thinking why am i doing this again why am i going so fast at meter 45 these giant jumps i'm really questioning my life ideal <laughs> of, i could have had an office job mm-hmm. very normal life but I'm out here jumping sticks at a very fast pace. Oh, yeah. Especially at that height. I've kind of decided I have a hunter myself, and I do very, like, very limited jumpers. But, man, I decided once I went to, like, a meter 10 or meter 15 round, I was like, I'm not going to be (laughs) doing meter 30. There's no way. No way. Cantering up to some of those oxers, no. (laughs) (laughs) I have the same idea some days. <laughs> when uh, we went to Europe for the FBI shows, mm-hmm. I made some friends there, of course, and we were talking about how the American system was really different than the European system because here are all these little 10, 11-year-olds running around on pony jumpers. When I was that age, I was terrified to canter. Oh, yeah. I literally didn't want to canter anything. <laughs> And these kids are gutsy, and I I was missing yeah. that. I wish I was gutsy as a kid, because I feel I could have been doing more. Mm-hmm. But it definitely made me appreciate how quiet the American system can be. Because mm-hmm. I really did like doing like the pony stuff as a kid, because it was slow. We only did a yeah. little bit. So once I got introduced to the jumpers, I was thinking, oh my god, like this is scary now. <laughs> Yeah, I have seen some of those little kids, like, on Facebook on everything, and I just couldn't even imagine. I was literally talking to someone, I think it might have actually been the other day, and we were talking about when we were younger, and I just, like, I could never do the things now that I used to do. Like, no way. (laughs) I feel that I had a few years, maybe from when I was 17, to 21 where I was the gutsiest mm-hmm. I've ever been and then after COVID I was like oh I don't know you know I'm getting older maybe I shouldn't do so much yeah <laughs> I'm still very much so the time fault queen and in Europe it was so prevalent that I would just have time faults all the time no matter what I would do because the times are so efficient and that's the only thing they can change you know Uh, max height max width the time is where it comes in so there was one class I really remember it was like a four star in Gijon Spain Mm -hmm. 
and I had two horses. My first one didn't go as well, and I retired because it just wasn't what I wanted. And then by my second one, I knew the course mm. better, but she was jumping so well and so big. I was so scared because she was so strong. And then I finished <laughs> the course, and I had, I think it was like two time faults, and I was cheering, and my dad was so happy, and the guys next to him were asking, why is she happy? She had two time falls. And he says, oh, she just doesn't want to jump off. She's happy with that, though. <laughs> I would be the same way. Like, I can totally imagine myself doing all of the hunter tracks and being like, yeah, I'll stay as close to the rail as possible. You guys, you can do all your crazy turns. I'll be over here. <laughs> the self-preservation is very much alive. Oh, yeah. I definitely have much more of a will to live now <laughs> than I did as, like, a child, you know, standing up on the horses, bareback, and trying to canter. Like, <laughs> you will never <laughs> find me going bareback on a horse probably ever again. <laughs> so, not only have you had a very successful career in the ring by yourself, you have had the unique opportunity to be a part of your family's business, TM Hills Farm International. So, what is your role in your family's business? I would say now that I'm older and more of an adult, I've mm -hmm. become the barn manager. Okay. Um, I'm overseeing a lot more of what our two workers are doing and how the barn is being managed. And I do a lot more at horse shows. So I pack all the trailers, get them ready, we set up, and I make sure everything's running according to plan. Mm -hmm. I like to say my dad's secretary. <laughs> Because he's very bad at texting and organizing things. So I have to like answer his calls and text people back about when to be at the show, what we're doing that day. That's so funny. I've done that for people too. I'm like, I'm so sorry that they're not answering their phone call, but they want me to tell you. <laughs> yes, I've had people tell me, can you tell your dad to delete his voicemails? Because his voicemail box is full. So he they can't leave voicemails. And they tell me, can you tell him to delete? that and i tell them i honestly don't think he knows how <laughs> or how to access his voicemail hey i'm not even that old and i swear technology like bites me in the butt all the time i probably don't even know how to really delete a voicemail either <laughs> so how would you describe working with your family i kind of get where you're coming from i work with my own family and like some days we get along super well, and there's absolutely no problems. And then other days, I swear, there could be an hour where we're just, like, at each other's throats. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I, as a kid, was not as involved as I am now. Okay. As a kid, I didn't really want to do this. Mm. I was only around because I really liked my ponies. But my mom told me if... This is not what you want to do. We have to sell your ponies. And I remember throwing a lot of screaming matches because I didn't want to sell my ponies. Yeah. So she would say, like, then you have to ride. But then I didn't want to ride. So it was kind of a few years where I'd, I would play every sport possible to see if I liked something. But I'd always come back to riding. Okay. So I think I was about eight years old. I started riding more. Not, I don't want to say professionally as an eight-year-old, but more determined <laughs> as an eight-year-old yeah. to do stuff. I would really say most of my work ethic comes from my parents. Okay. I want to make sure that everything I do 
goes as well as what they would do in that position. Mm -hmm. Working with them is a little challenging. Some days, just like you said, we're perfectly the cloud nine. Everyone's having a good time. But then someone the next day could be in a bad mood yeah. or someone work, woke up wrong. And then we look at each other and we're all like, no, we're not talking right now. <laughs> or like the next hour, it's silent time around the house. Yeah. But coming back home from, say, like school or dinners, we honestly could barely have a conversation that wasn't about horses so that was hard for me with regular kids because mm-hmm. I didn't know much about like regular stuff going on mm-hmm. I would just be like do you want to see photos of my pony or my horse <laughs> now you know more dull I know how to handle myself in social situations I'm a lot better than I was as a kid I think I can have more adult conversations with my parents as not their I wouldn't say employee because I'm not really mm-hmm. their employee I'm more of a, a partner in the business now mm-hmm. definitely training was a hard aspect growing up because it was my parents oh, yeah. so they would send me to other people to get lessons every so often and they would tell them listen she's kind of had an attitude but Treat her as you would anyone else. She's not special. If you need to tell her she sucks, you tell her she sucks. Like, that's it. And then the, I would come back from these lessons, and the trainers would tell them, she was the best kid I've ever taught a lesson to. I don't know what you're saying. She's like the kindest little angel around. <laughs> and they would look at me and look at them like, her? Are you sure? Like, are you sure that's her? You know, I know quite a few trainer kids, and it's the exact same thing. Everyone says the same thing. Like, they don't even teach their kids, and they're like, oh, they were perfect for this trainer and then if they try to it's like hell on wheels <laughs> <laughs> i know for my mom we don't get along in the ring if she trains me i don't like to be talked to a lot when i'm riding you know correct something and then let me figure it out but she's very hands-on tells you every other stride what to do and it would drive me crazy i could not do it and we would end up like screaming at each other by the end and my dad has become my main trainer because he understands me more and knows what buttons to push to get the best out of me well that's great yeah i can only imagine i am very fortunate that my family like my parents are not my trainers but I could only imagine having them as my trainer because <laughs> I would probably wake up on the wrong side of the bed too many mornings <laughs> oh yeah I've had so many rides too where my dad asked me what's wrong and I'm like what do you mean like I'm just I'm, I'm fine and he asked well you look bad at the world <laughs> and I would reply back I'm just do I have to smile every day do I have to I'm the same way. I literally, I grew up doing Western, and, like, when you do Western, you know, it's all about smiling and, like, the big makeup and all the glitz and glam, and one of the things is they do make you smile a lot, and it got so bad to the point I didn't smile, and they told me, they're like, you need to smile. (laughs) So I was doing my Western pleasure class, and I put on the most horrendous smile I could muster, and then I went back around the ring, like, stop smiling, stop smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Like, didn't you want me to smile? 
smile, and now you guys are like, uh-uh, don't ever smile again. <laughs> Malicious competence. Yeah. <laughs> Do it with vengeance, but get yes, it done. Exactly. I was like, you guys are never going to ask me to smile again. Don't even worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there a particular thing that your farm specializes in that separates you from your competition? I know that the first podcast I did was with somebody who's also in Ocala. And it seems like there's so many people down there and so many more people coming down there nowadays. So what kind of separates you from maybe, you know, all the other barns that might be five minutes down the road? It definitely has become a little bit of a headache. Mm -hmm. There is a farm, every other corner you can think of, every other big name has bought property here. So clients have been far and few between. Mm. Because a big thing in the industry is that a lot of people are loyal. Yes. Something could happen, I'm not loyal, I want to go to the next person. Mm. Or you didn't tell little Susie she was great after a crossroad class, oh, you're not the right trainer for me, I'm leaving. A lot of people want to be told great things about themselves they want everything to be sugar-coated yes we believe that you get your compliments when you deserve them i'm not gonna tell you suck today but i'm gonna tell you hey your round wasn't that good you need to work more on that and my dad is a really firm believer on tough love mm-hmm. to a certain degree you know push the riders to get what you need and then reward them like, what is that word? The, uh, co- not a compliment. Is it a compliment sandwich? You know, you say something good, something. Oh, I, uh, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I cannot remember it off the top of my head, but I do know what you're talking I about. I think it's like you say a compliment and then constructive criticism in the middle and a compliment. He does that a lot. And you're also paying for the experience my parents have mm-hmm. miles and miles of the ins and outs in the horse industry. And now. People are paying also for me because I get to be around the barn and I know how indoors work and I know how the industry is for my people, like people my age. Definitely. It sounds like you've got everything there. Yeah. I think we have a very well-rounded family where if someone has a problem, I can help ride the horse and figure out the problem. Mm -hmm. And then if I can't fix it, my dad gets on. And if my dad can't fix it, then my mom gets on. She's like the top tier of the pyramid. (laughs) If a horse has to go to her, then you really know she has to fix it. Wow. (laughs) That's impressive. I was going to say, I would... Man, I can only imagine how many people like around me and everything would love to have the opportunity to have so much knowledge right there but I do know like Ocala seems to be a hopping place even we've had so many people up here in Georgia buying property down in Ocala to base themselves down there during the winter time yes it has definitely become Wellington 2.0 yes Wellington has WEF of course but it has the town around it the restaurants that make it great and the hotels Mm -hmm. In Ocala, we don't have that yet, so a lot of bigger people are moving down here, and they're almost shocked that there's literally nothing to do in Ocala. (laughs) Thankfully, the town is growing, we're getting new stuff, but it's not at Wellington level yet, so a lot of these people are coming in, you know, bringing more clients. It's just the infrastructure isn't quite ready for the influx of horse people that are coming in. Definitely. No, I think when I went down there two years ago or whatever, and we were going horse shopping, 
it was pretty much like you were going there for the horses and nothing else. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was just nothing. I think we found some, like, I don't even think I stayed in Okawa. I must have stayed in, like, a next town over or something, this old, like, hotel. <laughs> and then we ended up, like, driving to somebody's barn. And I think maybe Wilson or something. And I just remember the town that we went through was like railroad tracks and super old. And we were driving down these streets. And I was like, is this where we're supposed to be going? <laughs> like nothing is around here. I don't I don't know if this is the right place. Since we've moved here when I was a kid, it has definitely grown a lot more than it was. Mm -hmm. It's more enjoyable now. There are at least a few restaurants you can go to. Maybe not as many as Wellington has, but I'm hoping for the future people will open up stuff and the horse people will keep it in business. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, especially during wintertime, the amount of people who go down there is just insane. Oh, yeah. And the Roberts right now are expanding the main road that goes to the horse show. So there, we have a two-lane road. That was it. And at the beginning, we didn't have, a, like, a light at that intersection by Horse and Hound to get to the horse show. And now, a few years back, we got a light. And then a few years after that, we got, like, a turning lane. Now, we have so much traffic, they have to expand the road to, like, four lanes to accommodate it. Jeez. So if not, you're stuck at that light. For at least like 20 minutes because the car line will just keep wrapping around the road wow that's crazy i man now i want to go back down to ocala yeah. <laughs> it's been two years and i was just so jealous just like man and i keep trying to you know do some kind of light shopping trying to see if there's anything that i can find for like a project for a pony or whatever so i keep waiting until the winter time hopefully so maybe i'll maybe make that trip down there and be able to see this impressive place. <laughs> and hey, I'm just saying, we got we got Project Ponies in Europe right now, so anyone oh. listening needs a pony, we got them. Hey, those European ponies are just something else. They are so nice. Stunning. I've been working with one of my friends in the Netherlands, and mm -hmm. she breaks and trains dressage ponies. And some of them are good enough for like the hunter ring, so we recently just sold one a few weeks back. And those ponies are so pretty. I'm so jealous of the people that buy them. I'm like, I want one of those for home, please. <laughs> those ponies from Europe and everything, especially if they're from like a dressage barn, like you said, their education is so much better than most of these American ponies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely know a lot more flat work than some of the American ones. Definitely. I kind of have been on and off shopping for the past, I don't know, maybe since early this year. And it's just, it blows my mind how much people are asking for for some of these ponies here in the States that really just don't know anything. Like, they need a solid, I don't know, year of, like, good flat and, like, good training to probably go to a show and jump a two-foot course, but they're worth, like, $30,000. It's insane. <laughs> Like crazy i can't i can't do that <laughs> yeah the market right now is definitely not in the best place for that mm -mm. no not at all i tried i went horse shopping for clients early this year and it was just it blew my mind what was out there for a budget that really was not i mean it was a decent budget 
but it was just so I just never thought I would have to tell somebody like you know your little bit under mid five figure budget is just not good enough like yeah <laughs> who would ever think like I don't know 40 fifty thousand dollars is not that much money to the horse world right now it's not that much money oh So before COVID, your family did a lot of importing, but now you guys are doing a little bit more broker work to connect people to prospects in Europe. Just as you said, you know, you know, lots of ponies over in Europe and Netherlands right now. So tell me a little bit about that. I know that buying a horse in itself can be a very stressful event, (laughs) but even more when importing a horse, you know, off of videos is something that you might not have had an opportunity to ride before purchasing. So are most of the horses you broker owned by people you already have relationships with? Or is this something where you see it online and you start connecting with them? Tell me a little bit about that process. So I would say the process even goes back to when I was in college. Okay. Riding in Europe, I made a lot of friends over there. Mm -hmm. And those connections still help me today. I did a Nations Cup team in England. And I made a lot of good horse people connections that one of them I still talk to and I do a lot of work with her. The one that does all the ponies in the Netherlands and one that does adventures in Ireland. Okay. And we've been, my dad and I have been posting about those and they're, they're trusted people mm-hmm. that I would recommend for people to buy horses from. I don't want to help someone buy a horse from someone I don't know because mm. I can't guarantee what I'm saying is 100% correct. Yes. So the people we connect with, we're trusting our whole careers into them. Oh, yeah. That they're producing quality th- stuff, horses that can work for those that are looking for them. I personally have never bought a horse in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I, we always imported something. And I have to say, the most stressful situation for me was my last Grand Prix horse we had bought, we bought it completely off video. We had a friend who rode the mare that I currently have before, and we told them, listen, when we see this horse, we kind of want it for Dominique. What do you think? He went, and he tried it for us, luckily. Like, he was around the area, and he said, no, that's not the right horse. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not the horse for her. But I have this horse. Here's a video of it. I will go ride it for you. And this is the one you need to get. So being able to trust people with the choices we make is very important for us. Yes. We don't want someone to come to us looking for a horse and we sell them something off someone on the corner that had something for sale at the first price. Definitely. We want to make sure it's all vetted through that they're appropriate and not more horse than they can handle. Yes, I have, I think anybody who maybe is on something like Facebook or social media has probably seen many horror stories when it comes to importing, but I find that most of these horror stories are typically with somebody who's, maybe even a trainer, but just somebody who's going on Facebook on, you know, one of these horse selling groups or whatever and they see a horse for sale in Europe and they like look at the video and they're like oh it looks super nice I'm just gonna buy it from this random person on Facebook (laughs) like they don't actually know the person they have no connection to them and it never goes well 
Yeah, those are definitely tricky. Right now, in our social media era, it has really created an abundance of places to, like, shop online. Yes. People think it's, like, a Target. You know, you put your stuff in a cart and you check out and then you have this magical unicorn tomorrow. But half the time, those videos... Those guys, most of the time the guys riding in those videos are so talented, they can make any horse look easy. Exactly. So you really have to be careful about who you buy from, Yes. who you know. I personally think it's easier to go to a trusted individual to ask them, hey, I'm looking for this, will you help me look for this? So you don't get stuck looking through 20 Facebook groups trying to find the perfect horse from someone you don't even know. If you can find someone you trust... Talk to them about what you want. They give you options. If those still aren't working for you, then let them look again. You know, horse shopping isn't a one-week-end deal. Sometimes it takes a few days. Sometimes it takes a few months. And at the end of the day, it's worth waiting for the right horse than buying the first cheap one you find because that might not work out in the long run. And the one you waited for is the perfect one. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I think I waited... (laughs) two two or three years <laughs> to get my current horse just because it wasn't that I didn't I had gone up to Kentucky and everything and I had sat on some horses at Lexington from reputable people and it just was you know every time I'd sit on them and then I'd sit back and I think okay well how do I feel about this I mean granted there were ones I liked but at the end of the day I could just never in my brain justify <laughs> I was like yeah. uh, am I gonna buy a horse for this this price range which was, you know, one of the upper ones. And I was like, am I going to spend this money, buy this horse, and then not really like it from the get-go? Yes. So uh, that's the hard thing. And I think, too, you know, with the broker stuff or just, you know, using somebody to help find a horse, just like you have to pay the commission and everything. But to me, I would 100% want to pay a commission for somebody to help me if it meant that I got the best horse versus – not paying somebody, you know, not having that knowledge, and then you buy this random horse that looks great on Facebook and looks great on videos where people can drug them, <laughs> and where, like you said, these guys who ride these horses are phenomenal riders, and most of them, from my experience, from what I've seen, are really tall guys <laughs> <laughs> that are probably very physical riders. Yep. And like I know personally. I'm 5'3". <laughs> you know, I cannot physically manhandle a horse that's like 17 hands, but they can easily get on a horse and, you know, frame it up and make it look all so good, and it doesn't even look that hard. I'm like, that's not how it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally understand. I have so many stories about that. When we would try horses in Europe, I'm a very picky person. Mm. So within the first few minutes of getting on a horse, I'll look at my dad and tell him I don't like it. I don't like the feeling. Some of my things like, give it some time, ride it around, just jump like a cross rail and tell me what you think. Okay. Another few laps, I don't like this horse. It's like, just finish it and we'll get on the next one. I'm like, okay. And sometimes you'll see my face when I get on a horse and he's like, don't even dare say anything until you're done. I'm like, okay, you know, like, I won't say anything. But the horses that I end up getting are the ones that I will sit on them and just, within the first few minutes, like, this is my horse. This is the one I want. It doesn't take me long or I have to jump very big to understand this is the horse. This is the right feeling I'm getting. Uh, I want to take them home and this is the one that's going to work for me. I remember sitting on one horse where 
I, he was kind of nice. He was a good horse, and he flatted great, mm. but I made a silly mistake. I think I, like, chipped a vertical, and after that, he, he was so angry with me because I made a mistake, and he, my dad's like, do you want to try it again? Like, you know, keep going, and I'm like, I don't think this is the horse for me. You know, I made one mistake. He's pissed at me. If I get him and I make a bigger mistake, I don't think he's going to keep jumping for me. Like, it's just not the right one. So it's really... If you have the chance to try those horses, it's really understanding yourself, where your mindset is with the horse, yeah. and how the horse listens to you, or how you affect the horse. One of my favorite tr trials is a few horses ago, I bought this Grand Prix horse called Nashville 65. I still have him. He's retired with me. We basically jump around poles okay. most of the time. We do do like a little courses sometimes, but nothing major. <laughs> but when we tried him, we spent so long trying different horses. Nothing really worked. And we had this guy reach out to my dad and tell him like, listen, we have this horse in Poland. I think it's the perfect one for her. You need to come try it. So we flew to Poland from Spain. And we were sitting in the car, I think, for like two or three hours driving to this little town in Poland just to see him. And I saw him and I looked at his face and I was like, oh, my God, I love this horse already. Because you look at him, he has a little cropped ear from when he was a baby from breeders to like differentiate them from other ones. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so cute. Like, he looks so different. And then I'm sitting on this horse. I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is this is the nicest horse I've ever sat on. I, I love it. And he was the one that ended up starting my career in Europe because stuff happened and we left him in Europe and we moved him to Spain with the person that helped us find him. And he was just, I love that horse. He was such a good horse for me. And it just made so many things happen that clicked after we had bought mm -hmm. him. Yeah, that's funny you say that because when you were talking about how you know pretty soon when you're riding a horse if you like it, I am literally the exact same way. <laughs> <laughs> like give me about I don't like if I get on a horse and start trotting I will pretty much know if I like the horse alone on the trot before I even do anything else and then jumping like I don't have to go out and jump a course just give me like one or two jumps and I'll pretty much know if I love it or hate it pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the recent ones we bought our video that our friend sent to us mm -hmm. when he got it we imported him to almost directly to a horse show because we were there and we just didn't want him to go home without one of us being there so he was at a horse show and he was basically traveling for like 24 hours before he got there so of course he's just like bundle of energy and I have to be the first one to go out there and ride him around at a horse show oh, where the energy is already high and I'm already sitting on this horse thinking oh my god did we make the wrong decision this thing is like trying to kill me oh jeez please it took me a little bit but he won me over so we do have those situations where maybe you're just a little anxious but after that it works out that's great that's been my one fear i bought one pony off of a video for the first time ever and geez louise that did not go well for me but you know like talking about the people who just find someone random on Facebook and buy a pony and saying like, oh, they should never do that. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I can be like, don't do it, but I did it. I had a friend whose mom ended up buying a horse from an auction. She didn't oh, tell anyone she bought the horse until she bought the horse. And she's like, look at this pretty horse. I mean, the horse was gorgeous. It was so pretty. It was an amazing horse. 
but it was it had the worst attitude and she didn't know because she bought it off an auction like you know videos so it would come here and the, i knew the trainer really well because i trained with them to do the equitation and they would have mm-hmm. to deal with this horse that was horrendous to be around because she just didn't know she just bought it because he was pretty Sadly, most of the ones that I've bought off of videos have not been pretty, so <laughs> I don't even have that going for me. <laughs> I was like, man, it, it looks like it's trotting around the ring all right. That's, that's perfect for me. <laughs> but uh, I have known other people who have bought the auction horses, and because it's the exact same thing. It's like selling, like looking at videos on Facebook. You, people can do some amazing things before that video is ever taken. So they look great, but they can be just like beast. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely important to be a coin toss. If you don't know who you're handling with, or where the horse is coming from, I have known somebody who purchased or imported a few horses from the same person, and I think they've imported I don't know three or four. And out of those three or four, one of them has been decent but the other ones haven't been and i'm always like you know a lot of people importing i think that if your majority of the horses are um maybe (laughs) not the best by the time you actually purchase a horse and import it it's not cheap (laughs) no it's expensive nowadays too so i definitely feel for those people that have a tight budget trying to find the right one Mm -hmm. so you especially want to find the right one and not end up spending your money on a horse that's just not going to work for you. Exactly. And there is literally, and I tell this to all the people all the time, there's no guarantee you'll be able to sell that horse for the same amount of money. Oh, oh my God. Yes, please. <laughs> We've had so many people buy horses and then put the entirety of their costs on top of the horse's sale price they bought it for and say uh-huh. okay now sell it for this and we're like we literally cannot sell this horse for that amount of money it's just not possible no and then it's you know horses are horses and you can go buy this expensive horse and then something goes wrong and they gets injured and then you're like okay well <laughs> can't sell it for that much anymore <laughs> i always tell people i'm like i feel because i've done a lot of like you know the green projects that you later on sell and stuff but even then people think you make a lot of money off of that you don't we really don't unless you're selling these like super expensive ones and you bought it for not that much you just don't make money even like as my parents my dad being like a broker you really don't even make that much commission nowadays because they have little to spend and then you're barely making not even 5% on those sales, where I think a lot of people get cut up on, oh, how many commissions am I going to have to pay? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's not even a thousand, like it's not even a grand that that commission, that person gets commission paid for. Yes. I think, like I said, if it's somebody like your parents and you who have an unlimited amount of you know knowledge and connections from your experiences, then... To me, that $1,000 would be nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you believe that. Some people don't. Some people do. It's like each their own. Yes, there's definitely lots of people that I know that would never want to buy 
you know, a horse with somebody helping just because they're like, well, I don't want to pay them, whatever, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars. I'm like, yeah, but if that saves you heartache and that saves you wasting thousands, come on. I feel like the answer is so easy. Yeah, especially because the people that make the most money are usually that top 1% of trainers and riders Mm -hmm. who sell those horses. My dad knows them, and there's so many stories of them, of people saying, I need to make at least 100k on this horse. So the price of the horse already went up 100, and then someone else needs to make, uh, say, 50. So it ends up being an astronomical price for a horse that wasn't even worth half of that. Yes. I have known people like that, too, and it is just insane. I cannot. <laughs> I wish I could be where I could do, like, pay that, but... <laughs> Me, too. I even had people tell us, like, that horse, what's wrong with that horse? It's too cheap. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a quality horse. It's not that expensive. We just need to sell it. Like, it's too cheap. Some, it's wrong. Like, something's wrong with that. Like, okay, I'll, I'll put up the price 300 I'm ready. Pay the price. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I've heard that one, too. If you can find those, like, diamond rough ones, especially nowadays, like we were saying, if you can find a decent, good quality animal for, you know, a decent price, like, I'm typically the one who's like, please, let me put a deposit, like, (laughs) (laughs) do not let someone else get near that animal. (laughs) So, this is something I totally want to ask you, because I saw this on your Facebook, and for me... I was like, I've got to ask her about this because I would love to do this at one point in my life too. So not only are you a very accomplished writer in various fields, but you also take time outside of writing to do things like photography, which I saw. And you are currently, I think, kind of working towards your little R status. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that because (laughs) I'm younger than you. I'm 21, but I definitely, at some point in time, would love to get my little R, but it seems like for young professionals or people like yourself, it seems like a hard world to get into. I, yeah, I agree. I decided when I was a junior that Mm -hmm. I saw so many unfairities in the ring of how people were judged and too many horror stories of judges taking money, taking horses just so their kid can win a class. I was really tired wow. of that. And I'm basically the same height as you. I'm five two. So in the equitation I'm not tall. I'm not the tall skinny one that can go in there and win a flat class all the time. Uh-huh. So definitely had that disadvantage and I you know, judging his opinion you know, I could have a great round, but the judge didn't think that. But I have been there so many times watching my class. I've laid it down for, like, a 70. Yep. And everyone was at the ring, like, that That was, like, an 82. Like, what, are you, what was that? And I got so tired of it that I, even if it's just me and doing a little change, I wanted to do the process of becoming a judge so I can help the kids out there and the adults and even the professionals that show in the mm-hmm. ring to have a fair judging. Go by the book, go by what I was taught, how the round looks is what matters. Not who the person is, not what the horse is, not who's at the end gate. That shouldn't matter at the end of the day. Even though, you know, some this, that does matter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I 
did the big act for a little bit during my junior career and <laughs> i had a 17 two hand massive warm blood <laughs> that like literally me too yeah it, he made me look like a twig like or not a twig like a little bug on his back and there was one show i went to and i, I might have been doing the 15 through 17 for like a warm-up or whatever for the mclean stuff and i put up a pretty decent round like nothing wrong decent these other people went in the class and they pulled rails and like one of them had a refusal or something and they placed in front of me and i was kind of (laughs) shocked as you probably would be because i was like man i put up a good round nothing was wrong with my round i didn't have a rail i didn't have a refusal nothing so we went to the judge afterwards and she told me she was like i did not place you higher because you're too small it's like there's no physical way that your leg was actually on the horse <laughs> i was like i made it around the course <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> the way i want to put that on a billboard i feel that on such a personal level i remember my first mcclay regionals um it was live stream at the time and my friend recorded it for me and the minute i went into the ring the announcer was like oh look here another big horse a short girl she probably won't do well. Let's let's watch. I was like, okay, really getting that vote of confidence. That's great. That's insane. I I don't understand why people did that, and it made me feel like I'm not saying I was some outstanding <laughs> equitation rider. It was it was short lived. My horse had a lot of lameness problems, so we did it for you know a little bit, but still at the same time, I was like, you're basically discounting me before I even jump. Or do anything. Yeah. So how is that fair? I really wanted to change going into judging. Even I'm an amateur still right now. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it harder for me because I'm trained. I'm not training, but I'm learning from these pros that are judges. How they see the ring, how they see the rider. Yeah. And it's almost harder for me as an amateur to decide to get my judges card. Because a lot of people that have gone into arguments, even on Facebook, they are saying, why does an amateur get to be a judge? It should be a professional. Because they know more. They know better than an amateur. I shouldn't be judging my kid. But there's so many amateurs out there that I know that don't go professional because, one, they don't need to. Two, they don't want to train. But they have so much knowledge still that they can offer. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting, I already got the requirements for my hunter, my hunter equitation card, my hunter, and then my jumper card. I just need to uh, mentor judge a few more shows and then I'm done. And then, you know, I'm out in the big world judging is terrifying. Oh, yeah. But to me, knowing I could help someone's day be a little bit more fair and feel better makes me feel happy that I'm doing the right thing. Definitely. I can tell you so many amateurs that I know who are kind of like you, like they are, you know, daughters of trainers and everything, and they never go pro just because they don't really have, like some of them I know, they're like, well, I've seen my parents, you know, do this and I don't really want to go pro, but they know so much because they've been granted so many more opportunities than most people would have. And, you know, quite frankly, probably more opportunities than some pros very 
grateful for everything I've been given that I don't need to. I, when I turned 18, I didn't have to go turn pro like a lot of my friends did. Some, yes, had perfect jobs lined up. Others struggled to find a riding job because at the end of the day, those really nice horses, they're not going to go to you. They're going to go to a client who bought them or they're going to go to that 40-year-old Olympic rider that can ride them so much better than any of us can. Yes. The small, younger pros have such a hard time finding themselves in the industry because the industry doesn't want to respect them. Yes. Even though they should be respected because they just need to learn and they have all this great knowledge to offer. They just, you know, want, don't get too big for your britches, know your place, know where you deserve to be. And if that's not the right barn, go find another barn that's going to give you the respect. Definitely. There are so many barns out there nowadays, not even just like where you are, but just in general, that if you are not in a good situation, then you could definitely find something somewhere else. It may take a little bit of time to find it, but I think that people need to give themselves a break and not put themselves through abuse if they can definitely, you know, find themselves somewhere better because it's horses are so difficult to begin with. <laughs> it is such a challenging industry that I would hate to be put into a situation that would make you truly come to hate this sport. Yeah, I want to say, whoever listens to this podcast, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you resonate with at least one thing I tell you, but I really hope you listen to those kids, those juniors growing up that didn't have the money to afford it and are mm -hmm. working their butts off at the barn. And if you hate it right now and you're in the worst environment, I swear, never give up on that. Find the right barn that's going to take care of you. Yes, working, being a working student sucks sometimes. But if you can find the right place, you're going to do so much. Definitely. I know so many riders that started off as a working student and a groom and doing the dirty work. And now they're jumping huge tracks because someone out there believed in them in the right moment and offered them the world and no one is going to offer you everything you've ever wanted just because you want it they need to see that you want to work for it you will work for it and once you get it you're not gonna take it for granted oh yeah i can't tell you how many times like i grew up doing the grooming stuff to be able to show and all of that and i tell people all the time even with some people i know like we're at with my barn, it's a smaller barn, and I tell people, I'm like, you know, if somebody said, hey, can you come and ride my horse, don't be like, well, I don't want to ride the horse, and I'm not going to get paid. Like, I remember when I was a junior, I was like, I'll go ride the thing that just came in from an auction. Like, <laughs> I feel this really deserves that meme of that one movie with the guy saying, wait, you guys are getting paid for yes. this? Yes. <laughs> As a junior, I rode with the big barns. Like, I remember riding with Don Stewart, and I would have to ride 18 horses a day. I didn't get paid for that. Oh, yeah. You know, I was in the barn riding as many as I could because I needed the experience. Mm -hmm. I wanted the experience. I never asked him, hey, like, am I going to get a check this week? Like, yes. Just not, just don't do that. Unless you're in a situation where, yes, you're going to get paid, don't just take your trainer for granted and be like, ask them, hey, you know, I rode so-and-so's horse i didn't like it can you give me compensation 
I mean, I definitely, because I was talking to someone the other day about it, I've definitely gotten to the point of where, you know, if I'm riding a horse that needs training or if I'm riding a horse with issues, I definitely have a, put a little bit more self-worth on myself where I'm like, yeah, I, I should get paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm putting myself into like the line of fire, I better get paid. But, you know, when I get opportunities to go to other barns where maybe the horses are a little bit, you know, just not in the bloodthirsty mood, then I don't ask for money. I'm just like, yes, thank you so much for letting me ride the horse. But I've definitely, if I'm getting on someone's fire-breathing dragon that's, like, trying to dump me before I even get on it, that check already better be signed. Like, <laughs> I need at least a little bit of money if I'm getting on that thing. <laughs> so I have some quick questions for you. They don't have to be quick. You know, sometimes... They take longer. Okay. <laughs> so what are some memories that stand out to you most so far during your riding career? Are there any, you know, wins that are more meaningful to you than others? I would say we did talk about Southeast Metal Finals at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That used to be a really big final. Now it's smaller because they won't hold the clay regionals at the same time. So they used to hold Southeast Metal Finals and McClay, same place. So everyone would do that class to get ready for McClay Regionals the next day. Okay. So it took me three years to win that final. I was second for two years in a row. And when I finally won it, it was such a good oh, feeling. Because that week, every time I would go into the ring, I didn't get anything lower than an 86. Wow. It was like my week set in stone. Like, that's going to be, it's my win to lose. So going in there, it's like, okay, come on. I've got everything going for me. I just need to put this together for two freaking minutes. Just hold yourself. <laughs> I think that final was definitely one of my favorite memories because the work-off used to be top 10 would do a shortened track. Okay. Just like a track, uh, like almost like a jump-off track mm-hmm. inside the ring. So you have to watch someone go, like the whole McClay testing. Mm-hmm. Or metal testing, I should say. Not McClay, because that's flat work. <laughs> But that year was flat work, and I was on this horse we had imported, I think it was two years, a year, a year and a half to two years before, and it was 62, but he looked tiny, and he had a small barrel, so this thing was like an energizer bunny, so we had to take off our stirrups, and we had to flat, and I was just thinking before going in, Please don't take off because I would literally <laughs> cry during this flat class if you did. I think I didn't breathe the entire flat because I was trying so hard to look good. And I don't flat mm. very well because my shoulders always get really round and I'm a tiny person. Yes. So I was just praying to God, please, please, like, put this together for me. <laughs> and luckily, you know, it was my day and I won and I was so excited. That was definitely a good memory. The only other one that stands out would be the Nations Cup in England. Mm-hmm. It's very fine. I ended up winning individual gold and team gold. Wow. And it was really hard because those horses are given to us. We don't bring our own. So we had to ride a different horse at every class. As you kept progressing, the horses would either get more difficult because you're jumping higher. Mm-hmm. And the last day, it was another girl an irish girl that she's at least six foot i have to say she's <laughs> she's a tall girl and i'm like god you're really intimidating 
and, and it was me. And my teammate was uh, bronze, so she was, like, coaching me because we didn't have any of our – it was just us. Oh, wow. No trainers, just us. And she was coaching me, and I look at her before going in saying, I, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> He's so strong. And luckily, I think I had two down on the first one, but clear on my second horse. Mm-hmm. And she went clear on her first horse, but then had three or four down on her second horse because we had swapped. So when she finished, I was just holding on to my friend and we were like bouncing around like, oh my God, like we won, blah, blah, blah. And I still have those photos because someone managed to take a series of photos of us like dancing and hugging. So that was also one of my favorites. I love looking back on those, just thinking, wow, like it was such a good moment for me. Oh yeah, it sounds like a great memory to have. So out of all of the horses that you have, ridden which has probably been a vast number (laughs) is there a particular one that is your favorite it's hard for me to say i have favorites because i think they have a lot of personality and if i favor one over the other they'll look at me just thinking how dare she like how dare she give that one (laughs) i'd say the most memorable one would definitely be my hunter ingo his show name's ingo discovery I call him Ingo. I used to call him Chalupa when I was a kid because he's really chunky. Okay. Um, he's tiny. He's barely 16 hands, wow. but he's a massive horse. He's just built. He's built different, yeah. I would say. <laughs> um, so I had, I've had him for eight years. We imported him when he was four. He was the cheapest horse I've ever, they've ever bought. I don't think we've bought anything. Anything over, like, mid to five. Okay. Mid five. Never spent more for that on a horse for me. Because we know we can develop them to be more than what we can buy them for. Yes. So we had bought him as, you know, an investment horse. So we can flip once he gets older. He's going to be a good hunter. But my parents did so much work on him. And I did so much work that he was just the old reliable. Mm -hmm. Anything I ever wanted to do, I knew. When the day came, he would deliver for me. I think I was horse of the year a few times in the hunters and like zone horse of the year several times. I won that zone four handy hunter on him, I think three times. Oh, wow. He's he's such a good horse. I love him. He is just the one that keeps delivering when he wants to. You can never take those good ones for granted. That's for certain. So... Are there any competitions coming up that you're particularly excited for? I know that Winter Circuit's about to start up for uh, WEC again, so are you excited for that, or is there anything else kind of on your schedule that you're looking forward to? I would say that WEC Winter would definitely be exciting on the schedule. I think we want to do Split Rock in Sarasota when they come in January. Okay. My horses, my two Grand Prix horses took a lot of time off this year. I decided to train with a legend trainer, great top person, Mm -hmm. but the training wasn't the right one for my horse, and he kind of lost his mind a bit. So we took most of this year off to give him the break he deserved, and now he's coming back even better. So I'm definitely excited to have him back in the ring by next year. I'm crossing my fingers that we get more FEI debuts with okay. 
because I was on the long list for the senior team for Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. I'm one of the ones being considered for the Central American Games. So having him out for the year definitely spoiled some plans. <laughs> but there's always a will. There's always a way. There's a reason for everything. The madness that happened. So I was very thankful, honestly, that happened mm. because I needed a mental break. I was kind of burning myself out too much from the sport. Being able to take a step back and understand the basics of, okay, my horse feels this way, so I need to make sure he feels better tomorrow. And we worked little by little. Mm -hmm. So that helped bring me back to being the person I am. I felt very separated from everything and just wasn't mentally here. And now I'm in a better place. I definitely enjoying my rides more than when I got into a burnout spot. So definitely WEC, uh, Split Rock, hopefully some more FBI shows. I don't know for sure because our schedule always changes last minute. I feel like people should take breaks. Like don't let the whole idea of, you know, taking maybe a week or two off from riding, it's not a bad thing. In the end, you know, usually come back better, and the horse typically comes back way better having a little bit of a time off. Yeah, I'm definitely a victim of that. I'm so scared about taking breaks because I feel insufficient with what I'm doing, that I'm not worth what I'm worth while I'm on a break. And it was definitely something I worked hard with my therapist, which everyone should be going to therapy, everyone can work through something, it's nothing to be ashamed about, if you need one, go to one, especially sports psychologists, with the sport we do, Yes, I worked with her a lot to understand that taking a break isn't a bad thing, and that when you're in that spot of burning out, you need to understand what brought you to the sport in the beginning, and work through what's making you stressed and anxious and see if you can find a way to develop those feelings and understand where you are at the end of the day. Definitely. I feel like so many more people in this sport should actually have somebody who they can talk to like a therapist because it's such a mentally challenging sport. I mean, you are literally paying somebody to judge you. That's just not going to go well for most people. So having somebody to help you is definitely important. So if you could say one thing to an aspiring writer who looks up to you, what would you say? I have to start off with it's always weird for me to have kids tell me they love the way I ride <laughs> or they love me because I feel I'm just a regular 23-year-old that does, I don't know, regular things. And I see people younger than me or my age doing so much more. And I think I'm not worth having someone look up to me like that. Mm -hmm. And then I say, but what about them? Like, you know, they're doing more. And they're, no, like, we like you. You're such a nice <laughs> person. I think you're amazing. I'm like, wow, like, that really touches me. Because people feel that way about me, a regular person. That hopefully someone out there I can inspire someday. I'll be like, hey, I knew her when and she's great, I would definitely tell those kids out there that who you are is always enough. Sometimes we try to convince ourselves that our worth is contingent on checking specific boxes mm -hmm. or fitting into a certain mold, but that simply isn't true. 
And you shouldn't listen to anyone who says otherwise. You shouldn't let someone determine that you're worthy of something because they say so. You are absolutely worthy of love, of respect, just by existing. And that you'll always be just right for the people who are meant to be in your life. Those are some great words. And I think that a lot of people need to hear them and they don't, which is quite sad. I agree. So that is basically all of the questions I have for you. But I do have one more question. So if somebody wanted to follow you around or kind of see more into your life what type of social media do you have and where can they find you my instagram very great handle is called dom the bomb 41 oh yeah i changed that as a junior just because my friend told me hey you should do this i said yeah i could <laughs> i think it's been like that since i was 16 so follow me <laughs> at the bomb 41 um, I have a TikTok that's very funny. <laughs> I I mean I like I think it's funny. I love TikTok. So if you find me on there, it's just Dominique forty one forty two. I post a lot of random stuff about me. Um, and I have my photo my photography website linked in the bio of both of my socials. Okay. And if you need to find a horse, you know, call call me, text me on Facebook. Dominique Gonzalez, you know where to find me. I'm always around. I know. I think I've been following your Instagram for, like, ever. <laughs> Probably. Oh, gosh, if I had to think, man, like, three or four years, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I was so cringy, even three or four years ago. And I think back that people have been following me for so long, it's, it's weird almost. Because... I feel like I shouldn't post as much as I do of my life online, <laughs> but it it's, it's so fun sometimes. If you ever see me, if anyone ever sees me at a horse show, please come say hi. I promise I don't bite, even if I look upset <laughs> or angry at the world. I'm just tired. <laughs> hey, I'm in the same boat with you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come on the podcast. I had a great time, you know, talking with you today, and I think there's definitely some very important things that people can take away from this. Like, you know, get someone trustworthy to help you buy a horse. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I forget how much I can just keep talking, especially on horses. I feel we can have a conversation on horses forever. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can go for hours. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I wanted to give a huge thank you again to Dominique for taking time out of her schedule to come on the podcast and talk to me. So for anyone who doesn't know, the podcast is now on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts under the same name, The Traveling Pony. Thank you guys for all your support and everything and your continued support with listening to the podcast and leaving reviews and all that fun stuff. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. And the question that everyone has, where will the traveling pony be next?